You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. Okay, let me give to you a Old Testament scripture. You want to do an exercise tonight? Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we're touching on this because I really don't want people... Oh, it's only 820, my God. Let's do Old Testament Scripture. Go with me, if you will, to Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 2. Now, I want to show you how to interpret Old Testament law. Because I encourage every person to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament should be studied. The Old Testament should be, um, you know, we should study it, right? We should seek to understand what it means. We should read about it. Am I right or am I, am I telling you the truth? Okay, say amen if you're there. Leviticus 5, verse 2. Let me get there. So we're going to pretend that you're at home, and it's snowing outside, and you're tired of watching Home Alone for the 80th time. (laughs) You decide to actually pick up the Bible and study it. I want to watch Christmas Vacation and Chevy Chase fall off the roof the 800th time. So you say, I'm going to read the Bible. You're all New Testament out. All right? You read the Believer's Journey. You read my book, Living in the Spirit. You can't take no more New Testament. So you say, I'm going to read the Old Testament. You come to Leviticus 5.2 and it says, Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast, or the carcass of an unclean cattle, or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and if he be hidden from him, he should also be unclean and guilty. And now you get concerned because, you know, you are... Outside, and uh, you know, you killed a spider, and it, it was dead, and, and now you're, it's a creeping thing, and, and you're afraid that you're unclean. And before the guilt trip comes on you, okay, let's figure out how to interpret this. Go to verse number five. And it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. So you tell God, you say, Lord, I am, I am very repentant. Uh, I, I killed a. Uh, a spider or, you know, as a dead raccoon in my gutter and I, I had to clean it out and kill it, right? You know, you clean the gutter, the, the raccoon out and you repent. You say, I'm confessed to God, I've touched a dead thing, right? And then it says in verse number 6, And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he hath sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid to the goats for his sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. So Brett gets concerned now because he needs to go get a goat. Or sheep. So he's trying to tell Emily we should go down to the Domino's farm and maybe find out if he can go get a goat and kill it and let's call Chris up and see if he's not busy and doing anything and let him make us clean. Because <laughs> if we're going to apply the law, we need to apply all of it. Yeah. All right? I mean, we need to, we, and I would say, I can't help you. I'm not a Levitical priest, so you're going to have to fly over to Israel. You shouldn't have touched that raccoon, my friend. <laughs> it costs you more than you think, right? Or maybe. Maybe we can, but then, you know, he listens to the podcast and remembers what we taught and realizes that we're not, we're no longer under this, right? But then he asks himself the question and says, but what, what can we learn from this? Why do we even have this? I mean, we, certainly we can learn something from this, right? Can I give you four steps tonight to maybe help you understand how to gain some meaning from touching a dead thing? I mean, this can mean something to us, right? Okay, number one, the very first thing you want to ask yourself 
when you're reading a text like this in the Old Testament, after you've identified your text, is number one, what did this actually mean to the biblical audience? What did it mean to them? What did it mean to them? So you discover, you think about it, and you want to discover. Now, you can look in commentaries, you can go on Bible Gateway, you can maybe you have access to a library, maybe Logos 5, for you, those of you that have 2000 extra dollars laying around, you want to get the finest Bible software out there, you can go on Logos 5, and you know, if you have 2000 extra dollars laying around, if you got more, let me know. <laughs> so what do you think this means? A God doesn't want you touching dead things. Back then, God, remember, remember the context now. He's not talking to us. Why did God tell his people, don't touch dead things? Don't go around touching things full of death. Well, uh, dead things stink. Dead things are rotting. Dead things got flies. And how about dead things are just straight up unclean? Am I right? Okay, so is it safe to say that God wants a pure people? That's a good principle. God's, how about, if, if God wants to pure people, how about we just boil it down to this one single interpretation that God is holy. This is why He doesn't want you playing with dead raccoons and taking the heads of chickens and throwing them around. You know, kids can be cruel with that stuff. You know, think about this. They had to kill their animals. They had to eat it. And they wouldn't let their kids play with the head of the chicken. That's wrong. So, God is holy and He's a holy God dwelling in their midst. So he wants people that are pure. This is probably what it meant to them, right? And this deals with a section on purification and how to make yourself pure. And so if you touch an animal on purpose or accident, you're defiled and unable to approach God. And so to be pure, you have to come bring God a sacrifice. That sounds like what it probably meant in their day, right? So then you ask yourself this question. After you ask yourself, what did it mean to the biblical audience? Ask yourself this question. What difference is between me and the biblical audience? Well, what difference does Israel have than we have? Can anybody think of any differences? I just spent a half hour talking about one. I'll give anyone that answers a peppermint. <laughs> okay, we're not in the covenant no more, right? Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice and has abolished and fulfilled and we're no longer under the covenant, right? And that's good. That's true. We're going to get to that. She's, she's the English teacher. She's already ahead of me. She's down the street. She you know, we're, street. At, we're at this light and she, her and Brent are over there waiting for us to catch up. Okay? We're, under, we're not under the old covenant, number one. Number two, Emily just says we're, our sins have been covered by the death of Christ. They didn't have that death back then. And how about we have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. So now we have difference. So you write those differences down, okay? Take another sip of your eggnog. We're on to number, question number three. What is the theological principle in this text? What's the principle that we can find? I just gave you one. God is holy. How about that? That's our principle. That would be a good preaching point. Jordan, that would be a good point. Go in the mall and tell people God is holy. <laughs> What's another principle from this? How about when God dwells among his people, he expects them to live clean? Yeah. That seems pretty. I don't, think, I don't know of any theologian or even denomination that would deny that. Give my dear sister a peppermint. <laughs> <laughs> How about if? Uh, how about this? If if people, 
if people fail, <laughs> people fail, <laughs> they need to offer God true repentance. Maybe it's not about giving him goats and, and animals. Maybe he just wants true repentance now. Right? Okay, then you ask yourself this question. This is, this is the next question, question number four. How does our theological principle fit in with the rest of the Bible? Well, think about it. I mean, how does it fit in with the Old Testament? Well, God no longer dwells in the tabernacle. He dwells with us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Right? God demands we sin not and stay away from unholy things. Um... How about the scripture that talks about where Jesus says that uh, what is not, uh, what, the difference between clean and unclean things now? You know, uh, Jesus says it's not what goes in a man that defiles him, it's, it's not what goes out of, inside of a man that defiles him. What comes out of the man? This is different. So, how about if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us? It's not about, oh, see, this is powerful now. If the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, it's not about what we touch. It's not about what we eat. It's not about what my hands touch. It's about what comes out of me. That's going to defile me. So you can eat all the dead raccoon that you want. But just don't, just don't cuss when you're eating it. <laughs> just don't think dirty thoughts while you're eating it, right? Just don't do, it. Just don't do that. Don't do any envious thoughts. Because that is what Jesus is teaching. Uh, the New Testament has has changed the way we deal with sin and uncleanliness. Our sins are now covered by Christ, right? Yes. And um, so you get it. And then the last thing we should do is, how should the individual Christians live out this and apply it in their lives? So now we're, we've moved from, now we're talking about application here. How do we live? What is something we can apply this to? How about the shows that we watch every day on television? Oh, Jesus. Mm. Don't say that. Oh, I don't want to say that. Oh, don't say that. Sons of Anarchy. No, oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, my favorite show. Don't say that. Oh, oh. Yeah, you could be in the Bible, but you're hanging out with Olivia Pope on Thursday night. Oh, oh Jesus. Don't say that one. Huh? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, Sons of Anarchy. No, no, don't say that about. Whoa, whoa. No, no. I'm not trying to beat on your favorite. I want you to come back next uh, next January. I'm taking Amen. So do you get it? So let me review this real quick. Number one, you what does this mean to the biblical audience? What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? What's the theological principle in this text? How does our theological principle fit with the rest of the Bible? And how should individual Christians live out this modified principle? Seems pretty easy, right? Now you can go in and have fun. How about we do something fun right now? And uh, are you guys getting tired? Are you all with me? Are you sure? 8.30. I'm almost done with my teaching for tonight, okay? I want This is a very interesting uh, thing that you can do in the Bible, and we haven't dealt much with history, right? There's something that we can do in the New Testament or the Old Testament that will help you get a picture for, now we're kind of moving into methods right now of um, Bible study. You know, we just talked about the law. So kind of let me be random real quick because it's our last night. I want to teach you how to do a historical reconstruction. Historical reconstruction in the New Testament is very easy. It's not as hard as it sounds. will help you understand what in the world is going on in this book. How do we figure out what is going on in the New Testament? Because I can tell you a lot of people get... 
uh, wrong revelations because they don't know where the setting is and who the people were being addressed are in the New Testament. These are very simple things to do in the New Testament. Things you can do and find out what's going on, okay? So we're going to take Philemon and Colossians tonight. We're going to try to find out what went on. Okay? We're going to start to see, is there any similarities between this? So you would first pick a subject, Philemon and Colossians. The reason I picked this is because if you read Philemon... And then all of a sudden read Colossians that week. You're going to see similarities in there. So anytime you see similarities going on in a chapter uh, of maybe Mark or Matthew, or maybe you're reading Judges, or excuse me, you're reading Kings and you're reading Chronicles, uh, books of similarity, books that usually say the same thing the other book is saying. This is something that you can use as a historical reconstruction. You know, maybe you're reading uh, Matthew, you see something the same as Mark. You will because Matthew, Mark, Luke are known as the synoptic gospels, right? Mm -hmm. The same stories are all in them. And then John, he's over in left field, man. He's talking about other stuff. <laughs> but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, same books. I mean, almost the same. But they give different details. Some of them different details. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The Bible's wrong. I'm not saying the Bible's wrong, but this a good. we have to answer those kind of questions. Okay. So let's use Philemon and Colossians, okay? The very first thing that you do is, after choosing your passage of study, start listing the specific details that you want to study. In both books. Right next to each other. So, I want to have you do that. So if you will, turn with me to the book of Philemon. Please, if you will. That will be fun. Now please, please, people. Can we please... Uh, Let's do this quickly. It is one chapter. And then you start listing either number one, people's names, places, and geographical features that you think are some importance. In other words, the details. Okay? Okay. So, in Philemon. I want you to tell me the people's names you find, other than Paul, Mark, and Luke. Can you see a name? Shout it out, please. I, I, excuse me, and Timothy, because he's not. <laughs> and Timothy, other than Timothy. Onesimus. Okay, Onesimus. What verse? Verse 10 of chapter. Okay, no, no, just one chapter in Philemon, so... Okay, verse 10. Anybody else? There's names all over this book. Okay. Our little... Her, 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 what, what verse? 24. You'll find that Damus was a heretic. After it ended up being a heretic. Aristocrats? Ah. Oh, hold on one at a time. Aristocrats? Ah, Archippus. Epiphras. Okay. I, I'm surprised nobody's. Who? Who? Marcus. No, no. Mark and Luke don't count. Mark and Luke don't count. Paul doesn't count. I'm surprised nobody's giving me the name of the book yet. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Don't leave the name of the book. 
I got missing one. I got seven. You guys gave me six. How about a paphia? Okay, so what you want to do is you want to put the name. Okay, so we want to put the name. <laughs> you want to put the name. Verse number two. You have uh, Philemon. He's in verse number one. And uh, you have Epaphras. He's in verse number 23. Okay. And uh, you guys are making me do this because you didn't, you didn't give me the verses. Verse number two. And um, Archippus is in verse number two. Okay. They're your characters in the book, okay? These are the people you're, you're, you're deciding what the book is about. Well, what are some details about these people? Can anybody tell me who, what is what do we find significant about Philemon? What does the, the book say about him? Tell me the details about him. Dear friend and fellow worker. Okay, he's a friend and a fellow worker. That doesn't necessarily mean that he is Paul has met him, but at least Paul's friendly towards him, right? Right. Okay, what else? And he's writing about Onesimus. Okay, he's writing about Onesimus, but that's not okay, he's writing about it, but what about him? Come on. He ran, away. he ran away. That's he did run away. That's good. So so wait, that's a detail. What detail is that? Onesimus is not with Philemon. He's with Paul. Ah, okay. So we're okay now we're sitting again. Okay, what else? Tell me something. Tell me tell me something. You guys are Detective Monk. We got Matlock here, we got Monk, we got Sherlock Holmes in the room. You guys are trying to solve this mystery. What is going on in here? Okay. Well, who? Okay. So let's just say let's use different colors here. We're going to use red to be in prison. This is going to be the prison color. So Epaphras is in prison. Yeah. Okay. You also said that. What about Archippus? Soldier. A fellow soldier, but that could not necessarily mean he's a soldier. I mean, they're soldiers of Christ. Mm-hmm. Start with me, verse number one. But what's it? Read to me, verse number one. Okay, stop. What do you know about Paul? We didn't do Paul, but Paul's in prison. That gives you the setting, right? Yeah. So Paul is sitting in prison. So you know that, right? Mm-hmm. Who's he writing to? Okay, so what would that tell you? Philemon is what? He's probably not in prison if Paul's writing to him, right? Okay, so this means not in prison. Okay, next. Okay. Okay, so now you have Aphia and you have Archibald. So he's writing to these three people. Oh, now that's interesting, isn't it? He says he's writing to Apaphia, Philemon, and Archibald. And the church that meets in their home, your home, which is technically means their home. So you know what you will find out? You can group these three people together. Mm-hmm. They're probably, and if you look it up and you'll discover it, it's a safe assumption so far that we can discover these three are part of the same family. So, but is Paul physically in prison? Yes. Is this, this is he is physically in prison. because it doesn't mean that he's just a prisoner of the gospel? He, he, it is a prison. No, no, no. He's not in prison to the gospel. He is in prison. Okay. He is in prison in Rome. Right. Yes, he's in prison in Rome. And you'll find out that uh, this was during his 
house arrest. Okay, so historically he was in Rome when he did this. Now, we have Archippus, Philemon, and Apathia. Now you will find out that Philemon is a male's name. This helps with knowing the language. Female name. So what would that tell you? There you go. And here's Archippus. So what's he doing there? He's, I, he's either A, they're a slave, which let me explain to you. It takes ignorance and a lot of assumption to believe that New Testament slavery was like 19th century slavery. It was not. Okay, so when people say to you the Bible is full of slavery and we move past that, well, let's just, just not all go there right away and think that it was the same type of slavery. Most of it was will for slavery. It was being servants and let me work at your house and you take care of me and they provided benefits. It wasn't the brutal, the brutal racist things we experienced back in, in, in old America. Okay, let me just say that. So Archippus, we'll, you'll find out more details about him, but he's in the same house as these three. Okay, what else can we find? Give me some more details. How about who's with Paul? How about we find out who's with Paul? Okay, so Ephesus, okay, we got, okay, we have him. What about, what's Archerus, Arch, is doing? <laughs> He's with Paul in prison, verse number 24. Marcus. Mark's with him there. What about um, Onesimus? That, this is who the whole letter's about. Tell me something about him. Go to verse 10. He called him my son. Mm -hmm. So he's embraced him as a son in the gospel. Probably means he was mentored by Paul which in time past to thee was unprofitable. Oh, there's a big detail. To, to Paul, to, to, he's writing to Philemon, he's saying in times past he was to you unprofitable. So it's possible to say that Onesimus and Philemon know each other. And he was a slave. So they knew each other. But he's with Paul in prison. Okay, so now he's in prison. Okay, and then it says Demas, so he's in prison. So you have one, two, three, four of these guys in prison, and three of these guys that are in a house. In, where is the house? Where is the house? Doesn't tell you. Doesn't tell you. We, have, we do not know where the house is at. Because if we knew where the house was at, we wouldn't be doing this exercise. But, it's possible we can find out where is the house. Is this interesting to you guys? Is this, this, this is kind of fun. I mean, we're putting something together. Well, let's go to Colossians here. Let's go to Colossians. Let's see if we, we notice anything. Now, I want you to do the same thing. Paul, Timothy, Mark, Luke. We don't. These guys are not important to us right now. I want you to tell me the names of the people you find. Let's go to chapter 1 and let's, 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 uh, let's skim through it. How about you can begin at verse number 7. Oh, does that name look familiar? Yes. Okay. Who else is in here? How about, I'm going to give you some hints. Go go to verse number 9. Wait. I think 4-9. 4-9. 4-9. I marked it wrong. Go to four, chapter 4, verse 9. Did we see him before? Where do we see him at? Ah, yes. He's with Paul again. This is the same guy, right? Well, he's not the same one, isn't he? Well, let's see if we can find some other people. What about verse number 10? Aristus. 
Oh, you mean this guy? Yeah, that guy. Mark doesn't count. Who else did we eat? Barnabas? But it says, and Mark is his sister's son to Barnabas. Uh, and Mark is sister's son to... No, 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 no. He's, he's referring to that person, but the person's not there. Okay. Demas. Okay, justice. Yes. Okay, who else we got? Who is... Ver go to verse number 17. Archippus. What's he say to Archippus? Okay, hold on. Wait, wait. Let me just get one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, five. So listen to. This. Look at this. Is Epaphras listed in here? Yeah. How about Onesimus? Yeah. How about Aristarchus? Yeah. How about Damas? Yeah. How about Archippus? Yeah. Looks like the same people we got going on. There's a question I want to ask you. Is it possible now? He's writing this. Now I'm asking questions. I'm wondering now what's going on. Is it too much of a stretch to believe that these letters are written at the exact same time? I mean, well, I guess you'd have to ask yourself if five of the seven names listed in Philemon are listed in Colossians. I think that's pretty significant. Well, what's it say about Epaphras in here? He salutes them. Wait a second. First of all, let me ask you this. Who is the letter being written to? The book of Colossians. Who is it being written to? 1-1 one, one says it's being written to the Colossians. Church of Colossus. Okay, I think that's pretty significant. So it's being written to Colossus. I mean, do they have a sanctuary in Colossus? Do they have a church? Ah, what, Natalie? Oh, wait a second. Is it possible the house is in Colossus? Is where they all met? I think this is probably what's going on here. So, our Archip Archippus, and say to Archippus, Take ye to the ministry which thou hast received to fulfill it. So you see exhortation, and Onesimus is being mentioned from Colossus and is being sent to Colossus, as he is mentioned as being sent to Philemon. Look what it says to Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Oh, wait a second. You mean Onesimus is one of you, as in a Colossian? Right? He says he's one of you. One of you, one of you. So now we just found out something about Onesimus. He's a Colossian. And guess what? Onesimus escaped from this house that we just talked about. So if Onesimus is originally from here, and he's one of them, safe to say that we have some good evidence that this is being written at the exact same time. You say, well, what does that help me? Well, it would help you a lot to understand what's going on in the big picture of the New Testament. Right? Um, the only objective thing that's not stated in the Colossians is Philemon Apaphia's name. But it doesn't have to be in here to prove that, in fact, we're both written at the same time. And You know, we could go on and on with this, but, you know, you'll see that there's some major difference. Now, let me ask you this question. How many people here had any idea that the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians 
this is proven by history because I'll give it to you in, in the end of the study. It's true. This letter went at the exact same time to Colossians, to Philemon's house, to the church at Colossus, which met in the house of Philemon. How many knew that? How many thought that it that just assumed that the book of Philemon and Colossians, uh, Colossians was just two completely unrelated books that had nothing to do with each other? Raise your hand if that was you. It's okay. There you go. Now you learned something. Now you're seeing the story of the New Testament. And you want to know something? You figured it out tonight. I mean, I helped you, but... <laughs> <laughs> one more thing. Can we do one more thing and then we'll close in prayer? You guys tired yet? No. How about one more thing? If you guys leave, Jordan's staying here till midnight. <laughs> George, my man. <laughs> George, like, I don't know. A bathiest. <laughs> I want to use, this is, a, this is your final exam, okay? I got, this is your final exam. We got 11 minutes. 11 minutes. We can do this in 11 minutes. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. You guys enjoying this? This is fun. We did a historical reconstruction. We told you all about the law, boy. Someone told me the other day. He, they said, "Chris, keep put that over there." They said, "Chris, they said, you sure don't lack for stuff when you teach." I choke you guys to death. Second Timothy chapter two, and verse number one through fourteen. I want to use the laws that we learned the last couple class periods to um, to break down what's going on in this passage and find out this this this, this scripture. Okay. Okay, Let's, let me read it to you. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should not should be the should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Always remember that Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained, so I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we'll live with him. If we endure hardship, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. There was a lot said in there. So you read that, you take your coffee, you go to work. People ask you, what did you get from your Bible time? And you said, I don't know. <laughs> but I did read my chapter and I can check the box for December 10th that I am working through my one year Bible plan and my God <laughs> I think that God is more concerned that we get meaning versus if we uh, please Bill Bright in the Campus Crusade in our one year Bible plan <laughs> how about we do this it seems to me that in Second Timothy chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul starts with an instruction and says, You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by reliable witnesses. Okay, Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Okay, Now, this 
is Jesus giving an instruction to teach truths. And then you'll see that um, in verse number 14, look what he says, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Okay. Now let's look at chapter, let's look at verse number 3 and verse number thir th through 13. And let's see if we can find, now take 2 and 14 and just, just, just put it on the shelf for now. That the Apostle Paul has started and has ended this section of thought by saying that there are some things I want you to teach everybody and, and don't, uh, don't, don't relent on them, just teach these things. Confirmed by reliable witnesses. That should already ring a bell in your head what he's talking about. What was confirmed by reliable witnesses? That, that, I mean, okay. But also, but, but, but before we get into that, let's see if we can identify, using the techniques I taught you the last two weeks, some themes in chapter 3, verse 13. Maybe one common theme. Okay, so what do you think the main theme is in chapter 3 for thir through 13? What's the main theme? One theme. What is he saying? There's one theme in here. If this was a movie and we had to give it a title, what would it be? The last days. The last days. The last days. If, if I saw a movie about the last days, I would think it might be about the return of Christ. Or the, the evil waxing, people waxing wanton the last days. But there's maybe more being said there than the last days. Can, can we find, well, well let's, how about we use our techniques? Uh, there's really not much in here about godlessness, though. How about we use repetition of words? Do we see any words here that... that good soldier? Yes, suffer. Ah, uh, what, Sunita? Suffer. Suffering. Suffering. Where, where do we see it at? Verse 9. Verse 9, verse 3. Verse. How about the implications of suffering? If we die, if we endure hardship, if we, we are faithful. Sounds like this passage of Scripture has to do with some suffering here. How about we just say that this is talking about enduring suffering for the sake of the gospel? Is that okay? Is that fair? I mean, is this, is this, uh, Brad and Emily, you think this is fair, enduring suffering? Jordan, you think this is fair? Okay. With stars, fair? Okay. <laughs> well, we don't want to talk about suffering. <laughs> okay, right, 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 hold on. We're going to see it's, it's good. It's good to talk about this. Well, how about we find ways to uh, maybe prove that we have found suffering in here? Um, let's use some techniques, okay? Let's go through it. Endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up. Athletes cannot win the prize. Hardworking farmers should enjoy the fruit of their labor. You see the structure of this now. He's thinking this through. He makes a statement, a general statement, and says, Endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus. That would be a very general statement, right? And then he gets more specific with it. Didn't we talk about general to specific? So here we go. This is a way to use it. Endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Hard-working farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand these things. Or Reverend Palmer. <laughs> well, I think what he's saying here is that 
we have soldiers have to endure suffering. Have you ever seen a war that was won without a soldier who had to put on his combat boots and get in the trenches and see his fellow mates get shot with bullets? And I mean, we've seen some tremendous suffering in wars, but we've, we're victorious and we celebrate those wars as victories. But first suffering comes. I think that he moves more specifically and illustrates this in a different variety of ways. And look what he says here. Sol uh, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. So we have to suffer by denying ourselves the things that everybody else has. How, do you, a soldier doesn't just suffer when he's on the battlefield. He suffers by when he's not fighting, being away from his family, coming home and not being able to talk politically as freely as he wants. He has to exercise or get up at four in the morning. Right? But then maybe soldiers aren't the only ones that suffer. Athletes can't win the prize unless they follow the rules. Well, what are the rules of being an athlete? You've got to train hard. You've got to work hard. Have you ever seen an athlete suffer? Course. Don't think that muscles and gold medals are gained by eating Krispy Kremes and D Della's donuts she brought for everybody. <laughs> Suffering is involved, but victories assured. Oh, now we're seeing a theme here. A hard-working farmer should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor, but what comes before the fruits of their labor? Hard work. And is hard work fun? Especially for a farmer who has to get up at 4, 4 o'clock in the morning and get on his tractor and, and, and milk his cat, cows and cats, whatever gets milked. I don't know. <laughs> hey, it's okay. If he eats it, it's still clean. No? So we have, how about we have enduring suffering. This is a statement. And how about... We have three illustrations. Soldier, we have farmer, and we have an athlete. And what do they all get in the end? The prize. Okay? So this is general to specific. And what is this? It's a list. So we have two. Two examples. Okay, how about verse number 8 through 9. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. Ooh. Hmm. How about cause and effect? Do we see that in there anywhere? Because I preach the good news, I'm suffering and been chained like a criminal. Ah, okay, so we see cause and effect. So cause, effect. What's the cause? Preach? Persecution. Okay? We got it? Yes. But the Word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, 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 let's put the brakes on here. And eternal glory... In Christ Jesus to those who's chosen. So I will suffer for glory. Cause and effect, contrast, that's good, that's the use of contrast. But do we see suffering and glory relate to anything that we just saw? Soldier suffers, but he wins the battle. The athlete suffers, but he gains the prize. 
The farmer works hard and suffers, but he gets the labor of his crops. And therefore, even though I'm in prison and suffering, I will receive the eternal glory. But he has yet to identify it. Well, let's keep going. Are you guys starting to heat up at some things? This is the language being used. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we'll live with him. Oh, my dear sweet Lord. If we endure hardship, we'll reign with him. If he, we deny him, he'll deny us. <clears throat> if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Now, do you see the glory here? The glory is that we'll live with him and we will reign with him. Now, I'm going to ask you one question. This is the final exam question. If this is enduring suffering with the promise of glory, I'm going to ask you one question. What do you suppose the reason he adds verse number 8 serves? And remember that Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. Why did he say that? It seems a bit random in the chapter. It seems to be right there in the middle. Why did he say that? Knowing that we have identified the theme as enduring suffering. Because through it all, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, but why? Why not remember, uh, why not remember Noah? Because he suffered in order to get the prize. Which is... Ah... So when you're suffering, we should remember Jesus because he suffered. Okay, that's a good that's a good statement. Uh, does that fit? How does it fit? Good example, good example, good example. Jesus. Would be the best example. Let me ask you this question. Do you think it would bring them comfort when they were suffering and being thrown into the chains of Nero and the fires of Nero? And Do you think it would bring them a lot of comfort to think of a, a soldier or an athlete? Might. Do you think it would bring them comfort to think of Jesus? Did he say, remember Jesus who created the universe? No. Did he say Jesus who uh, loves you so much he wants to give you a hug? He said, "Jesus, a descendant of King, descendant of King David. What does David have to do with this?" The likeness of us. Oh, the likeness of us. Why not Abraham, though? Why David? Jeez, Emily is right there. Huh? Is it possible? I'll give it to you because this would—it's true. It is a man after God's own heart. Um, what significance would David play? Do you remember that he said in the beginning, "Teach these things"? For by me teaching them, I'm persecuted. Who persecuted Paul? Jews. Why? For proclaiming Christ. Why? Because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. But if Jesus was a descendant of King David, 
to whom's line was it promised that a true Messiah would come from? King David. Mm -hmm. Jesus was coming from the house of Judah, from the lineage of David. So if Paul says, remember Jesus, he's a descendant of King David. He's saying he's the true Messiah. And even when they're persecuting you and telling you he's not, he is the true Messiah. So remember that you're being persecuted for the truth. That's why you remember it. They're killing you for the right reasons. They'll be happy. Be right. They'll be happy. But it's not. But what if we? Hey, but just. But what if we are persecuted for the right reasons? And. Raised with him, but why? Why are we reigning with him? How do you know he, we die and we we just die? What's the proof? Remember, Jesus, the descendant of King David, who Emily correctly said made Jesus the Messiah in the flesh, was raised from the dead. I think what he's saying here is, he was the Messiah. He died in the flesh. You're dying in the flesh. You believe in the Messiah. He was raised from the dead. You gonna be raised from the dead. So in all this suffering, if ISIS were to walk in the door right now, I, I don't think that the biblical instructions is pray your way through it. I think sometimes the biblical instruction is remember Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. If he rose your eyes. This is the New Testament gospel. I think this is what the context supports. And soldiers do it, athletes do it, farmers do it. Jesus did it. And there's many believers that they're going to do it too. Now, I do believe that in divine deliverances and divine uh, uh, miraculous things, but but ultimately, sometimes there's no promise of freedom from persecution. There's just the remember Jesus. Let me tell you something. If he's not in your heart, you ain't going to remember him. So persecution has a way of weeding out the uh, fakers from the real ones. The, one, the fakers from the makers. The ones that are going to make it. <laughs> Amen. Did you enjoy it tonight? Can I share something? Yes. So this is something that I actually learned and read this morning about the, uh, the Ten Commandments and versus the New uh, Testament. So this is uh, in Matthew um, 22, 36. It says, um, well, 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then it says, which is key, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So uh, the pastor I was listening to sums it up with the ten, ten Commandments. The first four are about loving God. And the other half are about loving your neighbor as yourself. And that how that those two now fulfill all of the old commandments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. One, No doubt. No doubt. We... Um, as Emily was saying, and I'll echo it, we're living under a better testament. So when you go into the Old Testament, just remember it's, it's in a context. 
that you can't change, nor can you separate what's being said from that context. It's not being addressed from you. Like if I said to Jordan, Jordan, you you know, when you your shirt is wrinkled, it looks bad. Make sure your iron your shirt is ironed. It's his shirt ironed. Just use an example. Well, I'm not talking to you, but you may get a principle from that. And be like I should probably iron my shirt. Look, Chris Palmer says it looks bad. He might maybe it looks bad. You know. So this is how it is. You can get a principle from it. Amen. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly. So make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.